You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Employee Safety Podcast. I'm Peter Steinfeld. I invited Jen Lim on the show today. Jen is the founder and best-selling author of Beyond Happiness and the CEO of Delivering Happiness, a company she and Tony Shea, the late CEO of Zappos, co-founded to create happier company cultures for a more profitable and sustainable approach to business. Delivering Happiness started as a book which sold 1 million copies worldwide and was a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. It later evolved into a business consultancy and global movement that has impacted and inspired hundreds of companies and organizations worldwide. Jen also helped create the world's first series of culture books at Zappos, and she's been featured in Forbes, Fortune, Entrepreneur, and more. Let's jump in. Jen, I'd love to know the origin story of Delivering Happiness. Can you tell us about that a bit? Yeah, of course. I go all the way back to being a a little dot-com baby. Back in the late 90s, I got spit out from it. I mean, I went to to Cal, I studied Asian American studies. My parents were freaking out because they didn't think I would find a job. But (laughs) luckily, the internet was born and I became an internet consultant. But shortly thereafter, everyone knows the story. The dot-com boomed and shortly after busted. But for me, not just getting laid off was was painful, but I basically, you know, we all endured 9-11 and I found out my dad had stage three colon cancer all in one year. Wow. And that's when I realized when I was chasing the money title status, it didn't mean anything at all compared to all those other things that are going on in family and life. So that's that was a big shift for me. And that's when I started exploring my purpose, my values. And essentially that's when I met Tony, Tony Shea, the late CEO of Zappos. And he just became the CEO of Zappos at the time, actually. We met at a random, it was actually his birthday party and we just connected. And what I loved about the direction he was going with Zappos and basically businesses and what we can do to bring positivity in them, I really aligned with. And that became scientific happiness. So we were just geeking out on positive psychology and the methods and data and research that was being done on it. So that's how Zappos grew. I mean, essentially the the goal was to become a a billion dollar company in 10 years. And Zappos became a billion dollar company in eight years. And it was largely based on those principles, positive psychology, and really just focusing on people. And it was super cool because we were focused on culture before it was a buzzword. And Zappos was like the Petri dish. As I look at it again and again over these years, all these methods and frameworks that now has really been the genesis of delivering happiness as a consultancy, as we call ourselves, and how we've been doing the same model for companies and organizations now around the world. Well, the story truly is legendary. So let's talk a bit more about those methodologies and frameworks. Can you give us just the highlights? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I mean, if I was to totally boil it down, I think 
now what we've seen, because back then it was kind of like, oh, that's cute. Nice to have happy employees, happy customers. Yeah, all that good. But now we know, especially these days with the great resignation and what we've gone through in the last couple of years, that the best companies align their profits with their purpose and to realize that it's an alignment, you know, it's a coexistence and it's actually beneficial for each other. That becomes a competitive advantage for everyone and a differentiator for business to keep on growing and succeeding. At the same time, companies can reinvest in their people so that they have individuals align their own personal purpose with that of the company's mission and ultimately higher purpose as well. Well, if you take care of your people, they'll take care of you, certainly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a fair investment. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are really recognize that, especially through the last two years with people running off, working from home, getting offers from everywhere else. You really have to invest heavily in your people to, to want to stay around. They need to understand the purpose and the mission and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think that's one of the big things that we've seen because delivering happiness has been in business for 11 years now, which is kind of like bonkers for me because <laughs> who knew we could grow a business on happiness. But what we've been seeing which has been super incredible is that this, these are all universal. Like the happiness concept itself is universal. Everyone talks about it in their own cultural way. But what we see now is that there's a demand for more meaningful happiness, both not just in work, but in life and how that is so coexisting and what we need now. So it's been cool to see government in Dubai to companies in Egypt and to, you know, Vietnam. I mean, it's insane how, this simple concept can really go above and beyond in terms of rippling our impact. Well, I think a lot of people probably wonder about that. Can this framework apply to organizations of any size, industry, geography? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's you know an interesting thing because I've been looking for trends in terms of who wants to work with us and how we can help them. And time and time again, there's no one trend of size, industry. What is actually the bigger trend are the leaders that want to invest in this, that they want to take the time to actually understand this more, not just for themselves, which is a huge leap, but for the people that they impact. So that's been the most interesting part of this. It's like how truly universal happiness can be. And what do you say to the naysayers out there or the doubters of all your philosophies? I actually love talking to them the most because what we've seen basically in the stats and stores and it's, it sounds cliche about happiness being contagious, but it actually when you explain it and they see that when you invest in them, they understand that, oh, as a CFO, if I invest in my people, they'll actually stay longer, they'll be more engaged, and they'll be more productive. And the bottom line and the top line for salespeople, if they're happier, they sell more, that it all makes sense. But it just takes a little bit of time and effort to understand that, knowing that people are an investment and not an expense. And from VCs, and we're seeing it all the time now with those companies that are growing, especially during this time since COVID, that they'll invest back into you with that work productivity and engagement and loyalty. And the, the companies that are best placed to work actually outperform S&P 500 companies for the last 15 years at least. So there, there's something to be said about that. When people, companies double down on people, it comes back to them financially. I love that phrase you just used, people are an investment not an expense. And I think that's hard for a lot of organizations that can be spreadsheet driven to get their mind around. Yeah. It does take a little bit of leap of faith, but once you see the short-term gain, 
then you'll understand the long-term game of it all. And would you say that a big part of that is getting okay with sharing the why behind you do things in your organization? Because a lot of times you just kind of trickle down orders and people don't know why. Mm -hmm. But if you start with the why, it seems that people go, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. I'll do that. Even though before they <laughs> never would have done it. Yeah, I think it's a huge part of it. And that, that's like a, a quote from a Simon Sinek book, of yeah. start with a why. And just try this out, you know, in terms of like, as anyone communicating as a leader or whatever you do, when you couple what you're doing with the why behind it, you'll see light bulbs going off because then they'll understand what it means to them and their why of doing what you're wanting to do. So that's where the connection points of and understanding like how we can all ladder up to that why together. Yeah. Well, was there like an aha light bulb moment in your career that led you to your calling of transforming workplace culture? Yeah, I think there was a lot of ahas of what I didn't want. <laughs> so partially being a dot-com baby and being, a, I was working at KPMG as a consultant. I just saw all the things I didn't want like knowing that it's really about who you work with. Uh, the number one reason why people leave and before the pandemic and now are really their team and manager, immediate boss, basically. So that's when I understood like, okay, well, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I understand like who I surround myself with, including not just team and teammates, but the people, you know, my friends and my family is where that's phase one. And then phase two is experiencing within yourself and understanding yourself as best as you can with your purpose and values and seeing what works best to keep on moving and growing. Do you have any really good examples of organizations that you've worked with that experienced positive outcomes from applying your methodologies? Yeah. I mean, going back to the point of like all different sizes and industries, we've been working with a hospital consortium called Northwell Health uh, up in, in, in New York, upstate New York. And this one is, I guess, my one of my favorite stories just because we worked with them several years ago before the pandemic. And so we worked on their core values, basically aligning with their 300 executives. I mean, you know, healthcare is very complicated. Yeah. And then aligning their whole company and organizations and hospitals with it so that everyone throughout the chain, whether they're a custodian or the valet driver, they knew what their values were. And during the pandemic, what was like mind blowing to me was that they, they rose from, nine, I think, number 90 something in great places to work to number 19 Wow! during a pandemic where, and this is regardless of industry. So knowing that their frontliners, their nurses, their doctors, everyone along the chain actually were supported in a war zone, essentially as frontliners. So I think for me, that was probably the most inspirational and tactical thing that I've seen in terms of you take care of your people, make sure they feel safe, not just like safety safe, but psychologically safe. And then you see the results of what it means to have a successful organization and helping your community as well. Yeah, that's a fantastic outcome. As you think about advising people to take on these methodologies, mm -hmm. where do people go wrong? How do they maybe mess it up and go off a cliff a little bit? I think when there's a lack of commitment, and when they're only seeing things for the short term. And it's, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, going to more of a physiological sense of like being more of the reactive primal brain 
versus being more of like the frontal cortex of just actually thinking things through and using logic to separate the emotion from what's actually more reasonable. And it's understandable when leaders get scared and they're fearful of like what, you know, the worst can happen, but when we can actually come to a psychological safety and realize there's long-term commitment for long-term rewards, then that's when you see the good stuff happen. So do you tend to work with the upper level execs for a little bit up front to make sure they really understand this and they're committed before taking it downstream? Ultimately, I mean, that's the ideal place because that's where you can scale best, yeah. but our team works with anyone that wants to work that if they're committed to this and they understand it. I mean, we just got off a call with my team and they talked to Lakefield veterinarian company that, you know, they're not the biggest company in the world, but you know, they're taking care of the pets as the pets are taking care of the people. And they made a huge impact because mm. they're talking to every level of the organization, not just the C levels, but touching what everyone needs right now. That's great. Well, in the book, you talk about the greenhouse model. Can you mm. explain that to our audience and how they can apply it at their organizations? Yeah, at the, at the root of it, <laughs> using that analogy. What I've learned a lot, especially in the last couple of years, is that as leaders, we all want to grow. You know, we all want to grow our you know teams, our bottom line, our profits, our company. But what we often run against is that we forget about growing our own, nurturing our own greenhouse. And that includes our own mental well-being, emotional or physical, our relational, and of course, spiritual and purposeful sense. So that's the biggest bottom line, the greenhouse model. Like if we look at ourselves as growth models, then remember to put on our oxygen mask first, you know, mm -hmm. like the whole plane thing. Maybe we forget it because we're not flying as much anymore, but just remember <laughs> to do that as we try to grow others, that's the whole model and how we can actually do this in a coexisting way and actually you know, be more adaptive as we grow together. Yeah, clearly you got to take care of your own house before you can go out and make an impact elsewhere. You have to have a solid foundation from which to, to grow. Exactly. Well, in your opinion, what other skill sets are important for leaders to thrive in a workplace culture of happiness? Yeah, I, I talk about this in the book. It's a different AI, not the AI that we've been used to hearing, but more of an adaptive intelligence. So even when, let's just say, people aren't walking the talk, and a lot of the times we work with companies that C-levels are not, or the board members are not, and it shows I think one of the biggest things that we learn in adaptive intelligence is to control what you can, which is your own purpose and values, like what, you know, how you're spending every minute of the day. Are you doing it meaningfully? Are you doing it for the reasons that you want to? And then being able to control that and then actually let go and embrace the stuff we can't control, especially the things that are going on now on a day-to-day -day basis and what we've seen in a very global way since 2020. So Owning up to that, being accountable for that for ourselves is where we start. And that's where adapt adaptive intelligence roots ourselves in. It's being able to control what we can within and being able to embrace the changes that we can't control. Do you ever, ever have anyone come back to you and say, eh, we just like being miserable here? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when I say, I'm not going to twist your arm. <laughs> that's not what I'm here for. But maybe whenever, that's what they want to hear. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Whenever they're ready for it, then I'm, I'm here for the conversation. 
That's great. I do want to ask you about this idea of the great resignation, which we've been Mm. hearing about so much these days. What advice do you have for business leaders to best respond to these changes and better support or retain their employees through this? Yeah. I mean, I I like to look at the polarity and the spectrum of things. So with the great resignation, we have to ask why that's happening. And back to your original question, there's a great awakening that's happening, great awareness, great reset, whatever you want to like great X, (laughs) (laughs) you can put whatever word you want in there. But what's happening is that we have more luxury of time, even though there's a lot of chaos around us, that people have actually really wanted to sit within themselves and be true to not just their highs of happiness, but to their lows. And something about that of like, you know, we, we, we're so focused on strengths, but we also need to be focused on our shadows too, like understanding those and not sweeping them under our rug and being able to address them in a more public way. Cause I really believe like a person's true character comes out during a crisis. Oh yeah. At the same time, companies, true character comes out in the crisis through their culture and through how they treat their people. So with the great awakening, I think is actually a blessing for people and humanity, (laughs) not to use that word too loosely, because I know it's a big word, but one by one, I think everyone is being a bit more aware to do the right thing. Even if it's not profitable, even if it's not for success in the you know stereotypical terms of what success can mean, but because they're doing it, for the right reasons within themselves, number one, and knowing that they have a ripple of impact that everyone they touch will feel. So it's like taking a bit of a a longer term perspective on things instead of always being focused on the short term result. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Have you had people come to you through your consulting and have shared with you that I'm going to leave this place because of X or what's the number one reason people give to you for leaving other than the obvious thing, monetary, what are, what are other reasons? Yeah, I think in the past, it's definitely the manager, like the immediate boss. And then with the advent of you know COVID and, and now the great awakening slash resignation, pay is definitely one of them, but also flexibility mm. and a sense of control, a sense of autonomy, because we now have a better sense of what it means to lose that autonomy. And that's actually one of the scientific levers of happiness is to make sure we have a sense of control within our lives. And the other element is definitely higher purpose. It's like when we had so much time to think about, are we really spending our minutes most meaningfully? Are we really living a legacy we want to leave? Then people are like, no, I don't think I am. You know, I don't, you know, (laughs) and, and it doesn't have to be some highfalutin purpose, but it has to come back to Am I being true to who I am, my own core of what I believe in and living up to that on a day-to-day basis? So people will see it and feel it, not just when I leave, but how I live my life now. Mm. And when it comes to flexibility, how do you coach managers to give their people more flexibility. It's very difficult when you've felt like you had control, not in a negative way, not a pejorative way over your your employees, but you're giving that up by having people work from home and more flexibility on when they do their job. How do you coach them to give into that? Yeah, I guess a reframe would be good. It's not giving into it. (laughs) True, true. It's opening up to the reality of the future of work is happening now. And now that everyone has had a taste of what it means to be remote or be hybrid and be in Zoomland for most of their day, most people are not going to go back. And so as a manager or, you know, any level of a leader, I think the most important thing is to reframe 
and then open up the conversation on what flexibility means to those individuals within the team. Because I think sometimes we think we assume too much about what flexibility is, but until we just open up the conversation and it could be as simple and quick as a Google doc, Hmm. you know, like just democratize what it means to be flexible. And you'd be surprised. Like some people are like, no, I really want to come to work. You know, I really want to get in the office. I really want to do this and this and this. And others are like, well, I need this and this to be more productive. And that's where I think, you know, it is a bigger challenge for for managers and bosses and executives. But I think that's just the reality of where it is. Like people just in the end of the day want to feel heard and understood. And if they don't, then, you know, that's (laughs) self-selection. You know, that's time for them to find another place. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like it's moving more away from supervision and more Mm -hmm. toward accountability. Yeah. Accountability and coaching. Yeah. For each other, not just because the manager knows more, it's because everyone has their own sense and sensibility of what can be better for the company, as long as it's being managed and laddering up to that higher purpose that we talked about. Yeah. And I love the idea that flexibility doesn't have to mean anarchy or chaos, which <laughs> I yeah. think is what a lot of people believe it means. And it doesn't, it could be really restrictive in a yeah. certain way. So like, like you said, just open up a document, share, what do you guys think flexible means? And I think you'll find it's way far away from anarchy. Exactly. And that's a great point that you brought up, Peter, like when people hear about flexibility, you know, and the self-management and all these things, they think that, you know, all hell's going to break loose. But the reality is if you can have the rigor to kind of keep it in this framework that keeps flexible, then that's when the magic happens between the sense of flexibility and having structure to keep it in place. And it's a fine line, but that's why I believe adaptability is probably one of the key words that uh, to take away during this time. Without a doubt. And doing it the way you just said, both sides win. So that's that's terrific. Yeah. What's in it for me? What's in it for all? That's right. Well, Jen, thanks so much for being on the show today. I really love the idea that workplace happiness is an investment, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Well, if anyone would like to know more about your organization or perhaps buy a copy of your book or engage with the organization, where can they find that information out there? Yeah. So we have deliveringhappiness.com and then we launched genlim.com for the book. It's J-E-N-N-L-I-M.com. But yeah, you'll find plenty of actually tools and resources too, not just to buy the book. <laughs> the free free stuff for you to 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 kind of like sit with and, and see you can start that sort of journey with the purpose and values and and revisit it because a lot of people are wondering what happiness means anymore. Absolutely. Well, thanks again to Jen and all our listeners for joining us on the Employee Safety Podcast. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to subscribe to future episodes at Alert Media's website or on your favorite podcast player. We would truly appreciate you giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a safe week, everyone. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. 
Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.